Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you all for coming out on this first Sunday of Christmas. And thanks to Reverend Scott for inviting me to give a sermon today. Today's real importance in marking the transition uh, into a year upcoming that we uh, don't know what is in store and looking back over 2017, which, uh, as Scott had mentioned, had in it some of its difficulties. Um, we are, though, if you look around and think about the change over this past year, uh, in 2017, most Sundays, of course not today, but on most Sundays, we averaged 40-plus worshipers receiving communion, and that is good news, praise the Lord. Um, we're learning how to be a presence, how to be a spiritual presence on this planet and in this community. A hundred years ago, imagine this, there were 1.5 billion humans on earth. <clears throat> Today, more than 7 billion people wander the planet. So how do we make sense of that? How do we want to connect with each other? Well, to do that, we're going to have to find the hope, the courage, and the reinforcement to be the spiritual presence that our planet needs and that we need to be for each other. We're going to need to gather our energy in our hearts and in our beings to be that presence in the stream of compassionate love that we stand for. And the first step in doing that is in recognition, because we can't do anything to formulate our intention until we recognize and name the truth. To recognize and to name who and what God is, and to recognize that eternal presence of the divine in ourselves. Because as the gospel told us today, so mystically in that, so beautifully read and in that language that I love, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And this word that was God became flesh and lived among us. No one has ever seen God, this gospel passage tells us. It is God the only son God incarnate, who has made God known to us. And perhaps most movingly, the same passage reads, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. So, who is this ineffable God? When I was a kid, I grew up in uh, the eastern side of Los Angeles, um, and my family went to a church called Holy Trinity, the Episcopal Church in Alhambra. As, and in those days, in the 60s, in many churches, not so much today, but in many churches in the 60s, children were not really welcome during the service. Uh, we kids went to Sunday school during the service, and families had the option of bringing their children in uh, to receive a blessing during the communion. And in those days, only the confirmed were allowed to receive the sacraments, right? Everybody else could receive a blessing. So one Sunday, as was our habit, when I was uh, no older than these little tykes who were running around here, uh, my sister came into the nursery to fetch me at the appropriate time to come into church for my blessing. And according to the family folklore, 
apparently I said to my sister, are we going to see God now? (laughs) Because through my child's eyes and my innocence, my God, my image of God, was Father Holcren, a six-foot-tall white man wearing a green cassock with a large nose and speaking in a Brooklyn accent. That was God. And no surprise, right? Because when we read the gospel, many times Jesus, when he refers to God, calls him, what, Father, right? And we called our priest Father Holcren. So I was confused (laughs) that my family even thought this would be funny. What was so funny about this? That's my image of God. So um, I certainly got the message, though, from my family, don't confuse the priest for God. (laughs) So as I grew up... (laughs) <laughs> Never again, right? <laughs> no. So as I grew up, um, I had many images of God, as, as we all do. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, how do we know God? You know, for us as Christians, uh, it's an article of faith that God came into the world as the Son of God. And that Son of God we easily recognize as the risen Christ, because that's the Easter story, right? The Son of God is the author of our salvation. And the Son of God died and rose again, and in union with him, we hope to do the same. I would submit that it is easier for us to say who Jesus Christ is than it is for us to define God. But hold on a second. Is that really true? Many times in the Gospels, Jesus asks his disciples, Who am I? They come up with various answers. Elijah, the Messiah. The first time in the Gospel that Jesus reveals his true identity is also related in the Gospel according to John in chapter 4, verses 6 through 15. It's the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus offers her the living water when he asks her for a bucket of water to drink. He says to uh, the woman, he says, of the water in the well, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up into eternal life. So the Samaritan woman and Jesus engage in a conversation which really has to do with the nature of thirst. The Samaritan woman asks him, Sir, you have no bucket. Where do we get this living water? And the greater of our, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? She further demands of him, Sir, give me some of this water so that I may never be thirsty again. And it's an interesting exchange because there's mutual recognition. Jesus sees something in the woman, and she instantly sees something in him. There's a heart to heart inner seeing. It's an extraordinary moment. Something Jesus sees in this woman gives him the confidence to be vulnerable and to expose who he really is. She sees something in him that gives her the confidence to follow his lead, to go higher, 
to go deeper into herself, knowing fully in the immediacy of her heart. In the light of that mutual recognition, they draw each other along a greater uh, self-disclosure. Finally, a few lines later, Jesus says to the woman, the hour is coming and is even now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for that is the kind of worship the Father wants. The woman replies, I know that the Messiah, that is the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus says, I who am talking to you, I am he. The quality of awareness in this encounter at the well comes from the energy of the heart connection. It is transformative, a transfusive moment from within. For in this moment, this woman's inner world shifted on its axis. Because, you see, according to today's gospel, Jesus was in the world, and the world came into being through him, but the world did not know him. Except in these brief encounters, these brief moments of fleeting recognition, and that is the basis of all true belief. Bruno Barnhart, a Benedictine monk who lived in Big Sur, has some interesting words to share about this encounter. He reflected on the mysterious energy between Jesus and the woman at the well. He wrote, This Jesus whom we encounter is a light at the center of the world, a fire at the world's edge. He moves beneath the images of himself as an alternate center of energy. Further on, he concludes with this remarkable statement, quote, The knowledge of Christ is a unitive knowledge. It is the luminosity of my own true and eternal being. So in other words, what he argues is the same as the words in Psalm 36, In your light, we see light. Standing before the Samaritan woman, Jesus Christ becomes the mirror in which she can see not only the face of God, but her own true face. A few weeks ago, we were scheduled to have the Advent lessons and carols, the beautiful service, right? But unexpectedly, the tremendous Thomas fire entered our lives and forced a cancellation. It disrupted so many of our lives in, in a number of ways. Uh, but, and, and, you know, the largest fire in California's written history, uh, and we all lived through that. But back to Advent lessons and carols, we're very familiar with the traditional pattern of the service of Advent lessons and carols. Uh, in its lessons, it presents the story of the history of the planet, really, from creation to the birth of Jesus Christ. And the first lesson presented is, starts with you know, the fall of Adam and Eve. And of course, as we know now, by the time we get to that point, to the fall of Adam and Eve, the planet is already halfway through its 4.5 billion year journey, as scientists calculate, based on the energy still left in the sun. So we were already halfway through. What happened in the first 2.25 billion years? before Adam and Eve. How does this fit into our story? Cynthia Margot, who's a fabulous writer and a mystic and an Episcopal priest, not to be confused with God, 
has suggested often that we should perhaps add one more lesson to the Lessons and Carols lineup, and that would cover the period of geologic time before Adam and Eve and would celebrate this creation of our planet. She suggests the creation story by Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, the famous scientist, the famous paleontologist who was one of the first uh, to discover Peking man and also was a Jesuit priest. In his book, The Human Phenomenon, Teilhard writes, some thousands of millions of years before this, not, it seems, through any regular process of stellar evolution, but as the result of some incredible chance, stars brushing up against each other or a rupture from within, a fragment of matter formed of particularly stable atoms broke away from the surface of the sun. Without cutting the ties that connected it to the rest of things and just at the right distance from the planet star, sorry, from the parent star, we feel its radi- to feel its radiation at moderate intensity, the fragment agglomerated, coiled in on itself, and took shape. One more star had just been born, this time a planet, imprisoning the human future within its globe and motion. The Earth was probably born by accident, but in accordance with one of the more general laws of evolution, Scarcely had that accident happened than it was immediately made use of and recast into something naturally or supernaturally directed. By its very mechanism of its birth, the film in which the within of the earth was concentrated and deepened emerging before our eyes in the form of an organic whole from which no element can any longer be separated from those surrounding it. Another indivisible had appeared at the heart of the indivisible, which is the universe. Since the vastness of the air, the sheer geological expanse that exists between the mountains above us in the Los Padres National Forest and the ocean on our other side, filling up this coastal ridge, and know that in that space are the primordial elements that exploded and agglomerated when our planet was formed. And in that is the stardust, the residue of the Big Bang. Know that this stardust is within you. It is part of your physical frame. You are part of the legacy of the 14 billion years of the universe and the 4.5 billion years of the Earth's story. And that that lives in you as part of your physical being. You belong here. You are indigenous. You are part of the story. And let that whole lineage in time and space, in the moment when God was born on this Earth, anchor you and hold you. Because I believe it's from this perspective of deep time and deep space in this long geologic time that we can find the perspective that is needed for this new year with deep hope and an assurance that this hope is not in vain. It's written into deep time. The work that we can do, for instance, the Lectio Lectio Divina or the yoga that uh, Roberto Sprongman has brought into our space these kinds of things begin to present itself. One of the reasons to bring in Teilhard 
for me today is because he offers us a perspective that allows us to come together and stand with joy and confidence. A Jesuit priest, a mystic, and a paleontologist, he was the first person to paste a Christian vision on a 14-billion-year canvas. It's fascinating. He presents a rising tide of consciousness. His belief in evolution was that there is a divine source that is pulling us forward. Um, Consciousness is seeded into the universe, and over the course of evolutionary time, things come together to form units, and out of these units come life and so on to the point where uh, uh, we were created in human form as self-reflective consciousness comes in human form and allows consciousness to manifest more and more brightly. By the time we reach the story of Adam and Eve, we've crossed a midpoint to a place where we're actively being drawn through the Christic presence, through evolution to the fullest expression of universal compassion and love. There is something divine that is drawing us, and we can form collectively the next organic body of humanity. We can manifest even greater depths of compassion, consciousness, forbearance, and wholeness. So in the next uh, time to come, let's become one humanity, one planetary species. Let's do it. Let's organize our hearts and souls so much from the inside that we can bear forth a quality and beauty and strength that resembles the heart of God. Now, I notice in the program, uh, pretty soon, I think Scott will perform a song called City of Immigrants by Steve Earle. And while he does that, I want you to imagine, if you would, imagine yourself looking through the eyes of Neil Armstrong. You're tethered to a space vehicle, You're tethered in outer space, doing a spacewalk and looking back on the big blue planet, Earth. Look at it like Neil Armstrong and allow this music to carry you to that spaciousness. We're indigenous planetary citizens, and we're coming into oneness, and we're coming out of that oneness to minister out of the oneness. Hold the face and the heart of divine love. That's holy work, and that's my call to order in the new year. Amen.